right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson with Nick Springer. Hey. We're brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, and we are out a little early today. Kansas UMKC happening at 7 o'clock. That means the Crimson Blue Show with pregame will start at 5.30 here on your home for the Hawks with KLWN. You can also listen to it over on 105.9 KISS. So we'll be talking KU UMKC throughout the show today. We're going to be joined by Matt Tate of R1S1 Sports at 340. Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports at 440. And uh, we've got some Bill Self, Johnny Furphy audio that we're going to get to you throughout the show on this edition of things. Uh, so KU UMKC tonight. And I guess uh, technically they go by Kansas City now, right? Isn't, isn't that like a brand well, change? Okay. Though? What's really stupid is I thought they did, but I think did they, they like, back? gave up. I think they're like, this isn't I think working. Basically, yeah. I think basically they were like, they were UMKC for a long time. And then I think they wanted to rebrand, mm-hmm. but then everyone just still called them UMKC. So I think they literally just kind of like gave up. I don't know. I'm honestly not sure. I'm, I, I'm, I it's unclear. Either. Kansas City, UMKC, the Roos, Kangaroos. Yeah. I think we all know who we're talking about at the very least. So, UMKC comes into this one. They're ranked 281st on Ken Palm. They are 3-5 and five on the year. Uh, two of their wins are against NAIA schools in Avila and St. Mary. They did beat their first D1 school in SEMO, Southeast Missouri State. Last game by 30 points. SEMO is ranked 355th on Ken Palm. Uh, so, Kansas, meanwhile, you're coming off big win over UConn. You're 7-1 and one now in this season. Yep. Uh, you have Missouri with your next game. How yep. important is this game for KU? You know, it's it's kind of a, an interesting dichotomy here. A little bit of a deja vu. You rewind a week ago, KU plays Eastern Illinois ahead of the UConn game, and you're thinking, Eastern Illinois, let's just go out, take care of business, absolutely blast them, and uh, then we'll go play UConn. Life is good. And then it was a one-point game with like five minutes left in the game. <laughs> so I think that because of that, this game takes on a little more importance because you, now you've got basically the same thing. You've got a big game coming up this weekend against Missouri, Border War. Obviously, everyone's looking forward to that. And here here comes Kansas City, UMKC. Almost 300 in Ken Palm. Actually, I think they're ranked. The thing is, they're ranked significantly higher than Eastern Illinois, actually, I believe. So, you certainly don't want to have a the exact same performance you had a week ago against Eastern Illinois mm-hmm. because UMKC seems like by the numbers, to be a little bit of a better team, maybe, than Eastern Illinois was. And uh, they might have a chance to win if you play like that. So there is some importance here to obviously not losing on your home floor against uh, against a team that's significantly worse than you, uh, which is exactly what we said about Eastern Illinois. Hey, by the way, Eastern Illinois followed up that close loss to Kansas with a 112-50 win. Against who? St. Louis Pharmacy. <laughs> NAI school. <laughs> Exactly. So, uh, I think this game takes on a little bit more importance. But And kind of the good news, though, about that is, like, Bill Self has some very, very, very recent film to be like, hey, listen, 
if you boys just think you can roll it out of the court and beat these guys, look what happened last week. You thought you could roll out and beat them, and you almost didn't, okay? So you got to come out and play sharp, play aggressive early, and take care of business against the MKC. So I do think there's a little bit more importance to this game because of that aspect of that. You don't want basically a repeat of what you did last week where you almost lost and maybe you, you might lose uh, because that was sort of the case against Illinois. So you want to make sure that you're still sharp and ready to roll. There's been enough time after the UConn game that you feel like you wouldn't have a letdown after that. But obviously, you do have Missouri coming to town in a, uh, you know this Bill weekend. Self said it was a bad practice on so, Sunday. Did and they didn't even finish the practice. <laughs> I, I, yeah, and like there was yeah. So I don't know. I'm not concerned, obviously. No. But uh, yeah, this game I think does take on a little bit more importance because of that. I think it definitely makes it more interesting to see if they avoid the same fate that happened last week. I don't know that it makes the game itself any more important. Like no, I guess that's the fair. importance of this game is just l- not losing. You know, just not being bad yeah and and the importance <laughs> guess, of this game i guess that's the importance of every game Don't yeah it is uh the importance of this game is is if you do things well then you can develop the bench more because you'll be up big and the starters don't have to play as many minutes and the yep. bench guys get yep. to play uh even like, and I mean, like missouri this week this is their ku is their only game this week yeah so they have extra time to prep for kansas they have extra time to rest yeah. for kansas they're gonna be on their couch watching this game tonight probably doing some early scouting on Kansas, assuming they can afford ESPN Plus, because they keep raising the price. It's ridiculous. Yeah, eventually it's going to be like thirty bucks a month. I just know it. Anyway, as far as uh, things that UMKC does well, doesn't do well, all that sort of stuff. Uh, kind of a slower tempo team. They're two hundred sixtieth in adjusted tempo, but they're three hundred thirty third in average possession length on the offensive side of the ball. So they will slow it down on that side of the basketball. Offensively, they have been an excellent offensive rebounding team. They're 57th in the country there, rebounding about 35% of their misses. They uh, have been an okay three-point shooting team, 32.4%, 194th in the country, so about average, but they shoot them a lot, 91st in the country in the amount of shots they're getting from three. So they do shoot them at a high volume. Uh, the, the things they don't do well offensively, they turn the ball over a ton, 320th in the country in turnover rate offensively. They are 341st in free throw percentage. They're 219th in two-point offense. And they're 358th in non-steal turnover percentage. Yeah, so a couple things there. Uh, so they do have one guy, a 6'6 winger, uh, who's yeah. about a 43% three-point shooter so far this season. So he'll be a guy to keep an eye on from beyond the yard. Yeah, they have bigger guards. Uh, yeah. Like Anderson Kopp plays a lot for them at the two. He's 6'6". Jamar yeah. Brown, 6'5". He'll play the three. Cameron, Cameron Foss. Foss. Or ha- Foss? Foss. Foss, yeah. He, he's the guy that's their, six, kind six, of their sniper. Uh, yes, he, and he plays the four for them. Yeah. But he is their sniper, like you said. Like, he's their best three-point shooter. 47% from three yeah. on uh, a lot of attempts. So, yeah. yeah he's, he's been their best best. Three-point shooter by far. He has been. Uh, he has A couple been. other things to note there. Uh, you mentioned the rebounding. They're really pretty solid at both ends of the floor rebounding. Yes, defensively, defensively. 53rd in the country in rebounding. Uh, they're also oh, pretty good at getting blocked shots defensively, though they do struggle at two-point defense, three-point defense, fouling teams too much, and not getting steals. <laughs> yeah, no, their, their defense, besides the rebounding, their defense appears to be horrible. Like, <laughs> really, really, really bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, But you look at the Eastern Illinois game, Eastern Illinois' rebounding was something that ended up being an edge for them that you wouldn't think it would have been because of... That's been a problem for KU Because of uh, the size advantage for Kansas. So, that the rebounding will be something to keep an eye on against a team that, again, rebounds fairly well considering everything else they do. Uh, in terms of three-point shooting, I mentioned that Foss is the guy to watch there uh, on the outside. 
Uh, he's he's kind of their their main three point shooter. And then you mentioned their their turnover their turnovers on offense. The thing that jumped out to me about them is they turn the ball over, and it, it's not because other teams steal the ball away from them. They're they're non steal turnover percentage is really high. So basically, they tend to just kind of throw the ball away or have you know miscues on offense that result in turnovers. Not so much teams forcing a lot of turnovers on them uh, via steals. So. You know, I, I think if you're Kansas, you may not it may not necessarily be a game where you need to get a lot of steals. It, it can just be a game where if you turn up the defensive pressure a little bit, you can probably force them into some unforced errors because that's kind of been what they've been prone to so far early in the season. Yes. So, I mean, there, there's nothing. I mean, the, the game right now on DraftKings, the spread is 26 points. The over-under is 139.5. You were expected to win this one big. Yeah. It's not quite as big of a line as it was against Eastern Illinois or against Chaminade, which I think is probably indicative that both times you were favored by that much, it didn't end up getting really <laughs> close to covering. So uh, maybe the number comes down a little bit. Yeah, close one. against Chaminade. Got within like 15, right? Yeah. I would like to think that based on how those games have gone, specifically last week with Eastern Illinois, I think this one will have more of KU's attention. I would think so. Yeah, I would think so. Going back to that conversation. And, you know, you, you go back to the Eastern Illinois game. Remember, people forget Kansas got up like 15 in the first early in that game. and then they, 16 before they made that play at the end of the first yeah, half. And then they just kind of put it in. They just kind of put it in autopilot and didn't really do much after that. And Eastern Illinois came back. So, yeah, to your point, I do think that this is a game where even if KU does have a fast start, I think Bill Self is going to be on them to say, hey, you know, let's. Let's not uh, let's not coast here. Let, let's keep things going here and really make sure we can put put the put a team that's that's not as good away and not let them come back. So that'll be something to keep an eye on. Certainly, is how Kansas starts the game and if they do keep up that pressure throughout the game. Uh, but also, this is a game where you do want to see some of your bench guys. You know, you do not want to be playing Hunter Dickinson thirty three minutes against UMKC. You do not want to be playing Kevin McCuller and Dewan Harris thirty six thirty seven minutes against. UMKC. That's just not what you want. Mm-hmm. So you you do want to establish a lead early, keep it going, and then hopefully that'll allow you to bring in some of those bench guys because those those bench guys they need those they need minutes because they're not getting them in big games because they're probably not good enough. But in a game like this, you can get some confidence going. Maybe right. I mean, I still have this this feeling in the back of my mind that. It might only take one game for Nick Timberlake to just make it work, for things to just click for him. I still have that feeling in the back of my mind that that could be the case, and this is a game where that might happen for him, where maybe he can kind of just play loose, play free, and and everything comes together for him. I'm looking right now. This is crazy. Uh, I've talked about this before. O rating is points per 100 possessions, basically, for, for when you're out on the court. Nick Timberlake is last on KU among all their scholarship players in O-rating. I mean, that, that shouldn't shock you. No, but it, it shocks me a little bit from the standpoint. Like, the reasons I think he's not getting on the court, I know he hasn't hit shots as much as we think thought so far. He's still shooting 35.7% from three. Um, the reason he's, he hasn't been on the court is scouting report stuff, defensive okay. stuff, yep. and then some of the games where maybe he would have a bigger leash wasn't hitting shots. But that that's crazy. Like that, that's a problem. If if you're if you're supposed to be out there for your offense and you have so far to this point, by one metric, been KU's worst offensive player. Well, like, that's mean, why he's not on the court. When your offense is one thing and you're not doing that thing well, I think it makes sense that your offensive rating would be bad. If you're if the one thing you're supposed to be doing to help the offense and you're not really doing it to the level that you can, I think it makes sense. Sure, and again, thirty-five point seven percent from three. Uh, El Marco Jackson's at fifteen point four percent from three. 
Well, but listen, we talked about it in, in the preseason with uh, with Nick Timberlake, where he could shoot thirty five percent from three, and that would feel like a disappointment. I think. Yeah. Right. We. I mean, we, we literally had that conversation in the preseason because of what he was billed as and what you were bringing in for and what he's done previously at Towns and shooting over forty percent the last two seasons. Thirty five percent. You're right. That's 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 not bad. That's pretty, you know, on par. But what you were hoping or what you were expecting, it would feel like a, a disappointment if that's what it ends up being. Which maybe that's unfair. I don't know. It probably is. Uh, is there a matchup that you're most interested in tonight? Uh, I mean, maybe that four matchup with KJ Adams and uh, and their the four man for UMKC, right? That that certainly is interesting. Yeah, with Foss. Yeah, with Foss. I mean, that means KJ Adams is going to have to be a guy who's have to stretch out and guard the three-point line, and he has the athleticism certainly to do that. I'm more curious about the offensive end at that point, right? Can K.J. Adams just impose his will physically on the offensive end? Uh, I don't think we need to get into it. This is obviously a, a young KC team that does not have anybody over 6'9". So, once again, Hunter Dickinson, you would expect, uh, no matter who's matching up against him, can do his thing. Yeah, see, that's what's interesting to me because uh, their center is that they play the most. It's 6'7 and 6'8". And... Uh, Allen David Mukeba is 6'7", so he's not a very big center. He's 24th in the country in block rate. Mm. So is that something where he's just good at blocking, like, guards? He's good at blocking in transition. He's good at blocking as the help side defender where he comes over and hits someone away. Yeah. Whereas if he's having to actually, like, guard one-on-one -on -one in the post, Hunter Diggins is still going to bury him with his size? You would think. I would think so. Yeah. That is interesting, though. Yeah. Maybe he has a knack for getting guys on the way up and blocking them that way. Yeah, I just find that kind of interesting. But, yeah, yeah. you're right. I mean, Hunter Dickinson has a huge size advantage in this one. Yeah. So you'd think it's another one of those games where it's just – Yeah, I, I think Any it's funny. Matchup. We made so much in, in the preseason and some of the, the exhibition games or the early season games where it was like, well, these aren't real points. You're just throwing it up to him, and he's just bigger than people in lane. But turns out, like, every game they've played except for UConn, haven't he we basically said that? that? Yeah, he, you're just still bigger than them, and you're still. And, and, and again, it's just an advantage. You look around the Big Twelve; he's yeah. probably going to be able to do that in a lot of Big Twelve games yeah. too. I mean, we, you know, you look at centers in the Big Twelve that could could match up against him. You got Shedrick at Texas, Jesse Edwards at West Virginia, and is that it? David off Gesson? Of your, off the top know. of your head, if uh, Naquan, Baylor's got if, a couple. If Naquan guys, Tomlin yeah. ever like plays Eve's, again, Eve's Missy, the freshman for Baylor, he's really good and. If, I don't if, know. if Naquan Tomlin ever plays again for Kansas State. I don't even know if he's a center, though. He's more like a 3-4, you know? But I think they would have to play him there, right? Yeah. I don't know. I, I guess the other interesting matchup here is Jamar Brown. He plays the three a lot for them. He's kind of a shooting guard, small forward type, 6-5. He's their leader in points per game, over 14 points per game. He's shooting 56% uh, on twos, 31% on threes. But I'm looking at Evan Miyakawa's website, and uh, they have the OBPR and the DBPR to kind of measure how players are doing on both ends of the floor. Yeah. Jamar Brown is bottom three among 10 UMKC rotation players in defensive BPR. So he's mm -hmm. a good offensive player, but he has struggled defensively. And Kevin McCuller has been a big offensive weapon for KU yeah. in addition to being a good defender that can try to shut down yeah. Jamar Brown in this game. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you can say enough positively about Kevin McCuller and how he's played so far this season. Definitely playing at an All-American level. Uh, he proved it against UConn uh, that he is probably the most valuable player on this team, even though, and that's saying something even when you have guys like Hunter Dickinson and Dewan Harris on the team, and that what he does and what he the level that he can play at just really elevates everything about about this team. And, and it's clear that I think he is 
the most important player on this team right now. And and uh, it, I think part of that is because of what he can offer you at both ends of the floor, right? Hunter Dickinson, not known for his defense. He's going to put up stats, though. Dewan Harris, not known for his offense, but is pretty solid on defense and, and being a floor general. Kevin McCuller can do it all. He can be an elite lockdown defender, and he has now shown to this point in the season that he can also be one of your go-to guys as a scorer. And having a player like that that you can rely on at both ends of the floor, first of all, probably makes Bill Self the happiest man on earth that he has somebody like that. Mm-hmm. And second of all, it just elevates everybody on the team when you have somebody that, that you can lean on at both ends of the floor and they're so good and so reliable and one of the best in the country on defense and now showing up to be a really, really quality scorer as well. Uh, KU wins and covers. Covers the 26 if what happens? Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting because what you as you alluded to, Kansas has not covered the last couple times they've played against opponents that they were favored significantly over. Uh, I don't know if that's just a sign of Kansas, maybe their their bench depth is not good enough, or uh, you know, you think about the Eastern Illinois game, they were just kind of disinterested, just kind of out there going through the motions, expecting to win. So I think Kansas wins and covers if they if they come out and they just they just play sharp throughout the game, right? If they if they lock in and 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 play to the level that we know they can play at, because against lesser opponents, we've seen them not do that for chunks of games, and uh, if they're gonna cover. And, and really win big against a team like this, I think that's what we need to see, and I think that's what Bill Self is hoping to see, certainly. And and when I say that, I don't necessarily mean, like, just the starters. I mean the whole team, right? When you, If you do bring in your other guys, those guys still playing at that level as well. Uh, so I think that would probably be the biggest thing is just the aggressiveness early in the game for Kansas, and then do they keep that intensity throughout the entire game, or do they let up kind of as they have against lesser opponents? And, Against Chaminade, you let them hang around. They weren't really ever in the game. Against Eastern Illinois, you did let them almost take the lead yeah. and win the game. <laughs> so uh, just keep that intensity throughout, whether and regardless of who's on the floor. Just keeping that level of, of, of pressure, I think, would uh, would lead to a Kansas Cup. Yeah, I mean, I, I think having a decent three-point game. Like, we've only seen Kansas be one of two things from three. Make everything or miss everything. You know what I mean? Like, there hasn't really been just like a, yeah. oh, they I mean, went 7 of 20. Look, like, it was fine, you know? You look at the last two games, 3 of 14 and then 9 of 14. Yeah, so it was just like, very different. Yeah. Obviously, that would help if, if you're fine or, or, I guess, white hot again from 3. It would help if you continue to develop the bench and those guys play well. For me, it's the rebounding. UMKC on paper is a better rebounding team than Kansas is right yeah, now. Yeah, that's their biggest strength. Yeah, they're a better offensive rebounding team. They're a better defensive rebounding team. They even got, like I mentioned, they're, they're top 60 in the country in offensive rebounding rate. They played Baylor earlier this year. Their percentage of offensive rebounds against Baylor was actually higher than their season average, and Baylor is a good rebounding team. So, um they're a really good rebounding team, and and obviously they don't have size. What does that tell you? That means they have team good rebounding. athletes. They have good team rebounding. They have the guards get in on the rebounding. Yeah. And I think that's and, what we're learning here about why, because you go back to last year, Kansas wasn't an elite rebounding team. They were a good rebounding team though last year. Like they were solid. You know, it's because everybody except for basically Dewan Harris was at least an adequate rebounder. Like Grady Dick was a good offensive rebounder. Jalen Wilson was a great defensive rebounder. Kevin McCuller, great defensive rebounder. And then KJ Adams was at least a, a pretty good offensive rebounder. Or being able to box guys out. Yeah, sure. And, and last year again, it wasn't a great rebounding team, but it was it was proficient. It was you know above average. Right now they're struggling at it, and that's despite having Hunter Dickinson, which means yeah. that it tells me the guards need to get more involved rebounding yeah. the basketball. Which I will say, KJ Adams had seven rebounds against UConn. I think it was five. Or five? Okay. Yeah. Well, either but way. That's a higher more, number that he's had. Exactly. Yeah. More than what he's had. 
I'm still I'm still looking at KJ Adams as kind of being. The That's guy the thing. That I think they have the bit. potential to be sure. good at it. Well, Kevin you know? O'Connor shown that he's right. can be a great rebounder. So if you're even like even on rebounds tonight, I actually view that as a positive thing. Like rebound percentage, you know, if if they miss twenty extra shots, then you obviously you should have more rebounds. But yeah, uh, I think that's kind of interesting. So I, I guess yeah. if the rebounds is close, like that's a way I could see UMKC hanging around. They have fifteen offensive rebounds and they have a bunch of second chance points to kind of keep them in it. Um, but if if you avoid that being the case, I, I think you should be able to dominate here. Yeah, uh, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Shock Sports Talk on KLWN. Matt Tate of R1S1 Sports is going to join us in 15 minutes. Let's get to our Pearson Collision hit of the week and a weird NCAA possible rule coming up on the other side. Hey, it's Derek Johnson from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. And despite sitting around in a studio all day, I feel loose and limber thanks to Massage Envy and their total body stretch service. If you have aches from a day at the office, working out, maybe a round of golf, Massage Envy can help. All you need to do is relax and breathe deep during the stretches, and they'll take it from there. It's great for your body and your mind. And they also have rapid tension services and advanced skin care. Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and 119th in Black Bob in Aletha. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Matt Tate will join us in about 10 minutes from right now. Uh, so the NCAA has proposed a new rule, NCAA President Charlie Baker, that would allow Division I schools to pay their athletes in ways that are not tied to educational resources. And uh, he shared the proposal um, to a letter sent to members' schools that if they opt to adopt the rules, they would be allowed to enter into name, image, and likeness deals directly with the athletes. The new rules would also create a new subdivision of Division One schools that would be allowed to create its own set of rules for recruiting, transfers, roster size, and a wide range of other policies. To be a part of that subdivision, each school would have to put millions of dollars each year into trust fund for athletes. And there was uh, one part of the proposal that had it as like a cutoff about you know, $100 million on, you know, some sort of thing. And uh, I found it interesting that KU would make the cut and K-State would not. Um, I honestly thought this was fake when I saw it. I was like, this is the dumbest, most convoluted thing. I don't know if thing. this works. This is very weird. Yeah, and I think it's stupid. I think it's incredibly stupid. It's the, I think it's so convoluted. I think it's so confusing. It's just basically spend more money and you can make up your own rules. Which, you know what kind of terrible precedent that sends, that sets? It's horrible. It's horrible. I think it's stupid. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see if anything comes of that. But, Free my uh, man Mark Emmert, bro. Charlie Baker sucks. <laughs> Bring back Mark Emmert. We hated Mark Emmert forever, but now we're like, oh, what did we lose? <laughs> All right, so uh, we've been doing our hit of the week segment once a week during football season. Makes a lot of sense, right? Uh, we have a hit. We're still going to be doing it during the basketball season. It is brought to you by Pearson Collision. Just like you, Pearson Collision loves to celebrate a great hit in KU football, or in this case, what we're about to explain, KU basketball. But in your car, not so much. Quality work, every job, Pearson Collision and Lawrence. We're going to get creative with this. We're still going to have hits of the week in basketball. I mean, it could yeah. be somebody could actually like hit someone. Oh, yeah. You know? oh, yeah. So I mean, we could get dude, that. Is it that far-fetched to think that Hunter Dickinson could just truck stick some guy? No, I mean, who point? knows? Who knows, right? <laughs> uh, but how about for this week? Hitting a shot. Mm, hitting a shot yeah. was pretty important against UConn because there were a bunch of big threes in the uh, second half as well as a couple big free throws. You had the Johnny Furphy three when you were down 52-47 to 47 to make it 52-50. to 50. You had Kevin McCullers' first three to put them up 55-54. Kevin's second three made it 58-54. Hunter Dickinson's three made it 61-54. to 54. Kevin McCullers' third three made it 66-60 to 60 with that high arcer from the uh, corner. And then KJ Adams hit the last two free throws. What is your hit mm. of the week, hitting shot of the week? 
Yeah, a lot of uh, significant three-point shots, to be honest. You think about the Furphy one, that was kind of a big moment to kick, re-kickstart the offense, essentially. Uh, Kevin McCuller with the, some threes. Hunter Dickinson had a great celebration after he hit his three. Uh, and then, of course, KJ Adams hitting the free throws to seal the game. I'm tempted to go KJ Adams here, man. Because, I don't know, man, like all of the threes were important, but I don't know. Is there one that you would really say was like V1 over all the others? I don't know. It's tough to say. The first one by Kevin gave you the lead. The last one by Kevin, extremely high level of difficulty. In the corner, you have a 6'10 forward jumping at you. You get off a high arcer over him. But it really is hard not to go with the KJ last two free throws. Yeah, I mean, given given obviously the -the off-the-court stuff and everything that he's gone through and to step up in that moment and to put the game on ice, pretty pretty special. Pretty special moment for sure. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm fine with going with that. All right, well, let's pick that one, and that'll be our first choice. K.J. Adams hitting two free throws. Yeah. Does that go above Kobe Bryant's hit? Of, uh, <laughs> I think I think we guy. leave the football and basketball <laughs> leaderboards to oh, their own Oh, okay, court. we're doing I think we have separate okay, leaderboards okay. That's for, for football and basketball. I'm fine, I'm fine with that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, Pearson Collision is always looking to add to their team of artists, a rewarding career with awesome pay, paid holidays, and weekends off. Pearson Collision Repair strives to hire only the best and wants you to apply. If you're committed to excellence, want career growth, come join the award-winning team. You can go to Pearson Collision Repair's page on Facebook and apply right now. That's Pearson Collision Repair on 7th and Connecticut in Lawrence. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to take a timeout. We're going to be joined by Matt Tate of R1S1 Sports coming up. In about five minutes from right now, we also have Kevin Flaherty joining the show at 440. We will get to uh, some KU basketball heroes and villains talk. We got our KU basketball game picks. We got Rock Chuck Pickhawk. Plenty to come at you after this time out in the action on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chuck Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson, and uh, we're going to continue on to the KU UMKC talk throughout the show, including a little bit right now. Matt Tate of R1S1Sports.com joins us. Uh, so I guess uh, first things first with KU, last week you had the close game against Eastern Illinois. Then they beat UConn on Friday night. Matt, what, what did last week tell you about this KU basketball team? Uh, yeah, I love that question because I think uh, I was actually having that conversation with somebody earlier today. Um, it's it's just kind of a, an interesting team right now. We know what their ceiling is. They're really good. They're national championship contenders. Um, but I think what we've learned, not only in the first eight games, but last week, like you're talking about, is that for a while at least, and, and possibly for the whole season, every game sort of going to be a little bit of an adventure. I mean, it's it's – you know, are they are they going to win tonight? Yeah. Should they win fairly easily? I think so. But would anybody be surprised if it's a if it's a struggle or if there are things that they, you know, don't don't do as well as you'd like them to or expect them to? I, I mean, I don't think anybody would be surprised by that right now. So, I, I think in a lot of ways, this is one of the more interesting teams to cover in a long than than any we've seen in a long time and and that's the reason every night you know their depth is a question we know that um obviously those those five through nine spots in the rotation are still a work in progress and and when that's the case um your margin for error is pretty thin and if something happens to one through four whether that's an off night or foul trouble or whatever it might be um you know then the game gets pretty interesting in a hurry so I think that's what last week, in a very short, you know, span of time, 
showed me and, and reinforced about this team as much as anything. It's, it's, you know, you, you've got to pay attention every night. And, and I'm not talking about the players. Obviously, they do. They have to, they have to lock into the scouting report and the game plan and all that stuff. But, but just from someone from the perspective of a fan or, or someone covering it like we do, you, you have to pay attention every night. There are, no, there are no times where you're just going to be like, well, I know how this is going to go. Because I don't know that we can say that right now. And, and that's only going to get um, more challenging as Big 12 play rolls around. And, and, you know, they've had a tough, tough schedule already and, and done very well. But Big 12 plays a different animal, as we see every year. And so I, I think, yeah, I think they're a fun team. I think there's a lot that you can learn night in and night out with these guys. And, and uh, I think the big question will be, you know, how much do they learn and how quickly do they, do they learn what they need to know and, and, and sort of put that into, um, I guess, the norm or routine or, or just something that you can take as a given rather than I wonder if this is going to happen tonight or I wonder if they're going to do this well. I mean, I, you know, there's, there's a lot of time left in the season and a long way to go, and, and, and they've got a lot of work to do in that area. To that point about uh, where this team is at right now, you look at last week and how things went with the Eastern Illinois game, a bit of a struggle, and then you come back and beat UConn. Kind of a similar situation this week, right? You've got a little bit of a lesser opponent tonight with a look-ahead game possibly to Missouri coming up this weekend. Do you feel like maybe the experience of last week, the Eastern Illinois game, and how things went there maybe helps better prepare this team now for this week against UMKC tonight and then looking forward to Missouri coming up on Saturday? I, I think so. I mean, but was that the Eastern Illinois game where – or was it after UConn when Self said that, that that it would be a BS excuse if he had said that about Eastern Illinois that they were looking ahead? Was that after yeah. the UConn game? Uh, no, I think that was in between. I think that was uh, ahead of the UConn game, but after. Okay, yeah. okay. So, so same sort of concept, right? I mean, like you know, you'd like to think they learned something about that, um, and 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 you know, in a lot of ways. I know for the fan base, looking ahead to Missouri is a much bigger deal. I would imagine for these players, looking ahead to UConn is ten to one a bigger deal. I mean, that's that's a defending national champion. That's a top five program. Um, Missouri doesn't mean anything to Hunter Dickinson. He'll say all the right things, you know, and 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 so will Kevin McCullough, and so will Nick Timberlake, and you know, all those guys will. Um, but but outside of Dewan Harris and, and Parker Brown. You know, Missouri just doesn't mean much. I mean, KJ's been around enough to to understand what it is, but he he never experienced it. He never he never saw it at its peak. We'll we'll say it that way. You know, so um, his experience with it is two blowouts, one hundred two to sixty five and ninety five to sixty seven. Um, you know, Missouri doesn't get your attention the same way UConn does. If you're a player, if you're a, if you're the fan base, though. I, I think that's right. I think, you know, the fans are probably, oh, big game coming up Saturday, big game coming up Saturday. That's exciting. You know, th- these guys will be excited about it, but they, they, they won't feel it the same way the fans do. So I think, if anything, this should be an easier week to manage um, compared to what last week was when you had, you know, UConn coming in and you knew what that game meant and the stage that that was and, and all of that stuff. So we'll see. Um, you know, Missouri will, will come in here and, and – do what they do and take their shot, and, and and that will be a tough game in its own right. But they're certainly not anywhere the caliber of what UConn is, and and uh, we'll see what Kansas City is tonight. They, they're probably not even the caliber of Eastern Illinois, to be honest. Yeah, so what are you looking for out of KU tonight? Like, what would be a good night for KU walking away from this game outside of, just, 
don't know, winning by 30 like they're supposed to. Yeah, I think start to finish consistency. I think just show up, get out to a good start, play the first five minutes where you take control of the game, and then don't give it back. Don't don't turn let seventeen up seventeen point first half lead turn into two in the second half. You know if you, if, if if you do that, you're going to keep playing with fire and you're you're going to get burned eventually. Um, so it's much easier to do that against these types of teams than it will be against Big Twelve competition or or the postseason, of course. Um, but against these types of teams is where you have to learn how to do that and how to play that way and and how to make that the the, the sort of consistent mark of your program so i think fast start um take control and don't give it up and and that includes the start of the second half too they haven't been very good out of the out of the timeout or out of the second half um to start those first few minutes of the second half so you know throw that in there too and and just make this one of the more complete games they've played if, if they do that you know then you'll start to maybe the light bulb will come on and you'll go, okay, maybe these guys are starting to get it. Maybe the progress is starting to show up. And, you know, very, very talented team, you know, criticizing them and looking for, for things that we're looking for here is a little bit of nitpicking, right? They're, they're as good as anybody in the country when they're on. Um, but, you know, inconsistency will kill you. And, um, and so will complacency. And so get up for these games, treat them like they're the biggest games in the world and treat them like, you know, this, this is this is a game that means everything. Because in a lot of ways, as you build and you prepare and you try to create, you know, that that sort of consistent product and production that, that you know can show up every night, um, these games are where that's created. These games are where you build that. And so they, they, they may not be Kansas, Kentucky, and Chicago and the bright lights of the Champions Classic, but they're every bit as important. Talking with Matt Tate, R1S1Sports.com. Uh, I, I was looking at Hunter Dickinson and Kevin McCuller's numbers earlier today. Obviously, both are having fantastic seasons. Hunter at 21, 12 and a half rebounds, two assists, over a steal and a block per game, insane efficiency. Kevin at 18 and a half points, seven rebounds, five assists. Uh, he's shooting mid-30s from three, over 50 from the field. Obviously, with Kevin, you add in the added element of how good he is on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, let's say the season ended right now for whatever reason. And and you had a vote for, I don't know, Naismith, Wooden, one of the National Player of the Year awards. And you had to pick one of the two KU players. Which would you pick, Hunter Dickinson or Kevin McCuller? I love that question. That's twice I've given you that right now. I'm going to have to, no matter what no, you No, keep ask the compliments. I like uh, it. No, no matter what you ask next, I'm going to have to not like Horrible it. question, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but I do love it because th- that very concept hit my mind when Maybe this was two weeks ago now. It might have only been last week. I, I'm not sure, but um might have been early last week. But Hunter Dickinson was, was Big 12 Player of the Week, um, Big 12 Newcomer of the Week. Yeah, it was two weeks ago. And, and he won that award despite his teammate getting back-to-back triple-doubles. Like, that's insane, right? Yeah. I mean, what what can you do? I mean, close your eyes, close your mind, picture – Picture what it would take to, to have a teammate that gets back-to-back triple-doubles and then you, you still outperform him and earn an award like that. And, and I think he was on the Oscar Robertson you know, players of the week list uh, of five guys or whatever that is, too, Dickinson was that same week. So you know, here are these national-type uh, awards, and, and he was picking up the, the honor over, over McCuller. And so that, that's when I first started thinking about this. And... and um, you know, to be completely honest, I'm in agreement with him. I, I think that, I think that uh, Kevin McCullough's season is 
is off to an amazing start. I think he's showing so much of, of his all-around game and, and how good he can be. But uh, there's just something about Hunter and his numbers and the impact that he has on a game. Because the difference is, you know, if you've got a guy who can throw up 31 and 20, I mean, or 27 and 21 or whatever it is, you know, there's no answer for that. Um, and, and it's hard. It's been hard for teams to stop McCuller too. There's no doubt, but there is an answer for that. And, and he's part of the answer because he's not going to always make shots. And so sometimes McCuller might play his best game of the year from an effort and, and, you know, execution standpoint, all those things, but the shots he made two games ago or the game before just might not go in. And all of a sudden his numbers aren't going to look that good. And so, you know, that's life. That's, that's not a criticism of him. Um, that just shows how, how easily, in my opinion anyway, how easily he can go from, wow, this guy's dominant to, yeah, he didn't do much. You know, and, and anybody like Coach Self or people paying attention, they're going to know, yeah, he, he, he obviously impacted an off game, an off shooting game way more than just with a few numbers you know, or a few, or a few misses. But with a guy like Hunter Dickinson who can get 20-plus rebounds any game, um, and it's not easy and it's not a given. He's going to have to go out and do it, you know. But, but to me, that's just such a different impact on, on a, not only a game, but on opponents, on, on your own teammates, how everything can go, how everything can play. I mean, it's just, it's just absolutely crazy how that can change and make things. You've heard these guys. You've heard KJ. You've heard Dewan. You've heard Kevin. I mean, they all say it, right? Like, Hunter Dickinson makes everything so much easier for everybody else. So, for me, that would be – that would be where my vote would go, at least right now. You know, and if Kevin McCullough ends the season with seven triple doubles and and leads them in in assists and scoring, and you know shoots forty two percent from three or whatever it ends up being, you know maybe that's a different answer um, over the course of thirty five games or whatever. But right now, I think that would be the answer, and and I don't, you know, it's not an easy one. They both had really really great starts to the season, and and. Uh, that's they're the reason. Those two are the reason that Kansas is in that tie, or that conversation of, of true title contenders and a team that can be a problem for anybody, anywhere, any night. We're talking with Matt Tate, R1S1 Sports. Meanwhile, over to the football side of things, KU gets picked to the guaranteed rate bowl on Sunday. They're going to be taking on UNLV, who won nine games. Uh, obviously, there, there were some KU fans hoping that maybe it was a, a different bowl game, but um, winding up here in Phoenix, I, I think the the date, the travel is probably the biggest, I guess, hurdle for KU fans. But overall, what what are kind of your thoughts on KU landing in the guaranteed rate bowl and and who they're playing? Yeah, I, you know, I don't love it. I think it's a, I think it'll be a great trip for the team. I think Phoenix is cool. I think they'll have a good time. Um, and it sounds like a lot of players, families are going to try to make the trip and spend a little bit of Christmas, you know, in in warm weather and, and have a little Christmas vacation type of thing. Um, hopefully nothing like that movie, but you know what I'm saying? So, um, so I, I think that's cool for them, but to be completely honest, this is one of the best seasons that Kansas has had in, in the last three, four decades, right? I mean, it's certainly a top three or four season in that span. And I, I think they deserved a better a better finish. Now, I like that they'll probably win the game. I like that they're a double-digit favorite. I like that they can end with nine wins and feel good about a maybe a fairly convincing win at the end of the season to kind of put the uh, cherry on top, so to speak. But 
I think, you know, I think they deserved a chance like they got last year. Um, that was really cool for them to go out and play Arkansas in, in SEC school and to show, hey, like, we're right there with these guys and we can compete with that league. And, and so whether that would have been somebody from the Big Ten or an SEC school or whatever it would have been, I, you know, for my money, I think that would have been a lot cooler. And I think they would have uh, – you know, they would have loved that chance. Um, I just think of even a school like Notre Dame, right? Like, it's just – because I missed it. K-State's not playing Notre Dame, are they, in, in a bowl? No, they're playing NC State. Was that was it initially announced as K-State Notre Dame, or did, did I just see that uh, wrong? It was, Brett McMurphy said it's going to be either – it was like NC State or Notre Dame. There's a report that came today, too, that the ACC um, – was a mess. Was, yeah, it's all yeah it was that, a mess right. because of Florida State, and so they ended up picking out of a hat to determine which bowl game Notre Dame was in. Okay, okay, cool. Well, I wasn't totally insane then because yeah. I, my initial my initial read was that K State was playing Notre Dame in the Pop Tarts Bowl, and you know what a cool. Now it isn't NC State's fine. That's that's fine, but but what a cool thing it is to go into a bowl game and play Notre Dame, right? Like that's so much different than playing UNLV. And I don't mean that disrespectful to UNLV. They have a good team. They had a good season. They're well coached and their offense is really good. So, you know, Kansas will have to show up and play well, but the buzz leading up to it, the excitement, the drawing your fan base to that game because of the opponent, that's not happening with UNLV. And and I think frankly, a lot of KU fans that, that maybe we're on the fence of, well, I don't know if we're going to go or not, you know, but it's going to be tough around Christmas and it's going to be a lot of money and all that. I think there's probably quite a, quite a high percentage of people when they saw UNLV said, nah, we'll, we'll have a watch party for one twenty fifth the price and we'll, we'll blow it up at home and we'll just enjoy it from here. So, you know, for me, that that's a bummer. Um, and, and not personally, but just that's, that's how I, how I read that because I think it would have been a way cooler situation if, if this was, you know, there's some pretty crappy Big Ten teams, though. I get that. So, you know, <laughs> does Kansas, Minnesota, does Kansas, Northwestern, does that sound any more exciting than this? Probably not. But there's something to be said about that feather in your cap. If you, if you play a bowl game, which these are all exhibition games that don't mean much, the one thing they can mean is you can put that feather in your cap and say, hey, we beat a – we beat a Big Ten team this year, or in KU's case, if they were to do that, it would be two, right? Because they already beat Illinois. So mm-hmm. there, there's something about that that, that I think is, is part of the value of bowls anymore, and, and it will be maybe in, in the future with the playoff coming and moving to 12 games and all that, or 12 teams. That may be one of the only values that these bowls have, other than for the, the, you know, the smaller schools that, that just get to go enjoy the experience and you know are happy they get to play a postseason game and all that but but for power five type programs if you're not in the playoff you sure as hell don't want to be playing UNLV in your last postseason bowl game you know you'd rather play a another power team and and at least you know take the bragging rights of of what that means or 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 whatever And, and what does it mean maybe not much you know but but it's something so um I think it'll be fun. I think it'll be a cool, a cool experience. I think it, it sets KU up in a really good place to, to go win a bowl game. And, you know, that's something they got to it last year for the first time in a long, long time. And, and now they've got a chance to go win one for the first time in a long, long time. So in that sense, it's, it's you know, another step, another piece of the progress that this program is making. And, and I'm sure they'll take full advantage of, of what that means for their, for their continued growth. But um, yeah, UNLV was, was not the most exciting. Now, if it was in Vegas, 
we'd be talking. I'd, I'd probably have a totally different opinion on it, but, you know, it's not. So um, we'll see. It, it'll be interesting for sure. He is Matt Tate, R1S1Sports.com. Matt, appreciate the time as always, man, and uh, thank you for coming on. Have a good rest of your week. Yeah, you guys do the same. Thank you. We'll talk to you next week. All right, Matt Tate, R1S1Sports.com. Go check it out. Subscribe. And uh, thank you to Matt for hopping on here. One hour down, two to go. Well, I guess hour and a half to go. We're out of 530 today for pregame coverage of Kansas against Kansas City with tip-off at 7 o'clock on KLWN and 105.9 KISS. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. We're going to be joined by Kevin Flaherty in about 35 minutes. Uh, I don't know if you missed this, but Thomas Robinson of Thomas Robinson fame. You know, the big block against Missouri, National Player of the Year candidate, All-American, took KU to a national title game. Who? 2012. He's having his jersey retired. Well, I guess not retired. It's always, uh, KU doesn't actually retire jerseys. It's a funny term. They're just putting it in the rafters. But But you know what I mean. Yeah, they're putting it in the rafters, right? Yeah, so uh, Thomas Robinson will have his jersey go in the rafters where uh, a lot of number zeros are up there, and there's certainly at least one more to come with Frank Mason. Yeah. And that'll be for the game Missouri. It does seem fitting that uh, Thomas Robinson's jersey retirement will be happening against misery. Yes, it certainly does. Now, they also announced they're going to be retiring another jersey. This will be uh, later in the year when Kansas hosts Cincinnati, so this will be in the uh, 2024 calendar year, and it'll be uh, William Skinny Johnson. Skinny was his nickname. He was a center for the Jayhawks from 1929 to 1933 Who? Uh, under Fog Allen. He was first-team Big Six twice. He was second-team Big Six once, so three-time All-Conference, twice first-team. And uh, he also was a first-team All-American by College Humor Magazine in 1933. Wait. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. Things Wait, were weird. Okay, so isn't one of the requirements that you three, – three-time All-Conference? Is that one of the requirements? I don't know. There's a criteria, but it adjusts based on each coach, so I, okay. I don't have the full letter for you. Uh, he was six foot four as a center, which at the time he was one of the tallest. <laughs> so I would be taller than him. How about that? That's awesome, dude. You you would absolutely posterize him. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, I guess that's cool. Get get a cool. little bit yeah. deeper into KU history with uh, yeah. a later jersey retirement. You yeah. know, yeah. you always think about the new guys. Yeah, about for the sure. old guys, right? Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm I mean. I would assume he's no longer around, but his family probably <laughs> would be there. So that's still a cool moment for sure. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's do our KU basketball heroes and villains from the UConn game. Let's start with the KU offense. Who's the hero? I think the hero's got to be three-point shooting, right? Nine of 14 from three. Uh, you know, And you really needed it because even though UConn took a lot more attempts, they were shooting the ball pretty well, or at least one individual was, uh, Tristan Newton. So... Uh, you, you kind of needed that. So I think that was kind of your hero. You know, we talked about earlier in the show at the hit of the week, especially in the second half, you had three or four or five threes that were very significant uh, in terms of kickstarting the offense or getting the lead back or extending the lead. So I think my uh, my offensive hero is the, uh, the three-point shooting for Kansas. I will go with Kevin McCuller. I'll individualize what you said because, okay. although I didn't realize, Hunter Dickinson was three of four from three? Yes. Kevin McCuller was too. I mean, it was really, it was three guys. Hunter Dickens at three of four, Kevin McCuller three of four, and Johnny Furphy two of three. Yeah. Uh, but I'll go Kevin McCuller. Yeah, the one Harris hit one, right? Yes, he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Beyond Kevin McCuller going three of four from three, he was also, uh, so three of six on twos, six of six at the foul line. He had 21 points. He was just doing everything for you. Like, yeah. he, he was so good in this game. He led uh, your team in, in scoring. I'll go with Kevin McCuller as the offensive hero. 
Okay, that's a good one. What about the defensive hero? Defense, hmm, I think you could go with the crowd here, maybe. Mm. Uh, but, what about Marco Jackson stripping that ball off the guy's leg? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, by the way, I did see some people who were like, oh, he clearly slapped his knee as he knocked it out. Like, it was clearly a foul. I'm like, dude, yeah, if you break it down like the Sapruder film, like, frame by frame, maybe. But, what? I mean, what, what are we doing here? I also what is going on there? people... Okay, people uh, do not realize basketball is a contact sport. There is contact allowed. People are allowed to touch each other. People are allowed to give, like, slight bumps to each other. It's just, like, there are certain levels of this, of what is a foul and what is not. Like, you're allowed to touch each other. You know what I mean? <laughs> anyway, I don't know who said that. I didn't see that, but uh, I, shame I, on no, it was, no. uh, yeah, there was Yeah, I don't know. So. Okay, what about um, KJ Adams had a steal in two blocks? Yeah. Hunter Dickinson had four blocks. Mm. And UConn did not yeah, have a big could give it to Hunter Dickinson two. because... You know, Klingon didn't really have he a huge game. He was 3 for 8 with 8 points. Yeah. 8 points, 7 rebounds, 3 blocks, 2 assists. Yeah, him. I'm okay with giving it to Hunter Dickinson for uh, shutting down Klingon. Yeah, so I think that would be a good shipping one. Shipping back to Kronos. What about... I mean, it's it's hard to it's hard to pinpoint specifically and be like, well, this is the guy who was guarding Tristan Newton, this is the guy who was guarding Cam Spencer, who was only 2 for 12, because KU switches so much. Yeah, and they had to. I mean, Bill Slough talked yeah, about it. They had to... They had to switch against UConn in order to to not let them get too hot from three. And even still, you know, you had hand, they got hands and faces a lot of times, and Tristan Newton still was lights out. So honestly, I think it's I I think it really is a team award. I think it was everybody for executing those switches. But like, because we have to pick one individual, I think you do have to go Hunter Dickinson on on Donovan Klingon. Again, you held him basically seven points below what he yeah. averages. Dickinson had four blocks. Uh, yeah. I mean, and even though Dickinson didn't get the numbers that he normally gets, he obviously won the matchup, right? Yeah, he did. And yeah. UConn as a team shot 42.8% on two-point shots in the game coming into the game, which, again, that's not all Hunter Dickinson, but he's the guy in the middle. He has a big impact. Uh, overall on the season, UConn is shooting 63.6% on two. So you held them 20% below that. Hunter yeah. Dickinson gets the uh, defensive hero here. Okay, we have a bench slash other hero. Okay. Well, we have- there's only one option on the bench. <laughs> you could... It'd have to be Johnny Furphy, but the other could you could you put Allen Fieldhouse here? Yeah, no, for sure. I think you could. I, I, Allen Fieldhouse definitely could go in there. Uh, let's see. It, it, it seemed like it was one of the better environments they've had in in, in quite a while. Bill Self said that. Uh, but you know, it's actually I was, I was, I was t- talking to somebody about this, and honestly, when it comes down to it, like Allen Fieldhouse gets so loud for big games that it just it's just it's just it, it is what it is. It's it's extremely loud, right? Like, is there, like, can you feasibly determine a difference between, like, UConn versus, you know, Missouri 2012 or There are certain Baylor ones that stick or, out for you. You know, Oklahoma. You would need a, I guess, decibel But once reader, you get to a certain level of game. I get what you're saying. You see? It's like once you cross the path. I mean, scientifically, you could measure it if, if you had a, a decibel reader. Dude, but. okay, is that decibel meter they put up on the big board, is that thing accurate? I think it is accurate, but it is accurate under the guise that they're also Blasting music <laughs> while it's happening, you know. I always wonder if those things are real because, like, uh, I know I think KU has this one too where they put it up and it's like it's one that slowly rises, mm-hmm. but it's always the same. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter. So it's clearly, clearly, it's not real. But the decibel meter, I feel like, could be real. I mean, decibel meters are real, but yeah, I don't, I don't know if they actually have one or if that's just a, a graphic they show up. Um, that's a good question. Okay, uh, what about the villain or villains? Mm. Well, obviously, I you know Klingon's my personal villain. I put him on there. 
Uh, see, he, didn't, <laughs> he didn't have a big impact. No, on I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Uh, uh, Alex Caravan fouling out, getting mad at the refs. Yeah, out there, I don't know. Yeah, Tristan Newton, uh, AC, just a level of dominating. You're gonna put AC, the in air the conditioning, the because uh, there was a lot about. of people that were saying it was nine billion degrees. <laughs> Is AC uh, no okay. AC a villain? Could be. Uh, I mean, just Bill, UConn fans in general. What about Bill Klingon? Well, I mean, he's one that, of those UConn fans. Yeah, he was mad that he got sent up in the rafters. See, but he's he's a villain that um, ends up turning good guy after he realizes that 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 whole thing was so stupid. Where they, like, if you if you missed it, Donovan Klingon's dad, Bill Klingon, posted it like in the corner. They were like at the highest part, like where there's the bleachers, and was like, "This is where Kansas puts their visiting parents." It's like, no, that's actually your school. Kansas gives UConn an allotment of tickets, and they get to choose with them what they do with them. So if you notice during the game behind the UConn bench, there were just UConn fans. So if you're mad at it, blame UConn or the basketball <laughs> program because they decided to give them to the boosters as opposed to the parents. Well, and also, I think it's ridiculous because if you're a visiting that too, visiting fans or visiting whatever, what do you want? I mean, you right. want... Mid-court. You no, want to you want steak at halftime, yes. too? Come know? on, man. And You're also, on the field house everywhere you sit is good. It really is. That, too. But, so. yeah, I mean, like, what do you expect? Yeah. You're on the road. No, it, okay? it really reeked of, like, the UConn fans coming in, and, and it reeked of the, I guess, New England, Boston, New York type of entitlement. <laughs> now, I will say. Yeah. I did see a lot of. that goes around. Yeah. I did see a lot of UConn fans who were like, dude, that was the coolest atmosphere I've ever experienced. Mm-hmm. Like, there was a lot of positive you know, no, there was a lot too on on social media that were there though, and they were. And I have I have uh, one good friend who was sitting by what they described as a very drunk UConn fan who was yelling, shouting mean things, <laughs> calling people names, and spit was flying every direction. Wow! Even to a point that like old ladies were getting in arguments with the guy. Wow! So, wow. um, yeah, I I think you hear the term mass hole. Have you ever heard that term before? No. It's a Massachusetts bleep hole. Huh. I've never heard that. It's no, a actually. term. Yeah, mass hole. Well, I've I never think, been to uh, Massachusetts. So. I mean, Connecticut is is close to Boston. I I, I think you get a lot of crossover there. Uh, I think there were a lot of, uh, again, it wasn't everyone. Like, I, I, sure, I, yeah. I guess I shouldn't paint a, a broad brush. It's because, but, you know, we're, yeah. you know we're, we're Midwest nice, right? We're, sure. You know, Midwestern people. We're yeah, just, those are the villains to We're me, just though. friendly people. It's an easy pick. Those are the villains. Like, I don't know, Tristan Newton went off, and, and that sucked, but. You know, maybe don't keep fouling him. From- no AC. Yeah. All right. That's our uh, KU basketball heroes and villains. We're going to get on. Kevin Flaherty joins us in about 25 minutes on the show. we got some Bill Self audio coming up next. You're listening to RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson, and we're out a little early today, 5.30. That's when Crimson Blue Show is going to take over from the Jayhawk Radio Network. Tip off at 7 o'clock right here on KLWN and our sister station, 105.9 KISS, for Kansas against UMKC. We're joined now by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. Uh, before we get into some KU basketball and, and some Big 12 talk, all that sort of stuff, uh, the college football playoff is set, and certainly lots of controversy with Florida State being left out for Alabama. So I'm just going to give you an open floor here, Kevin. Did you think the committee got it right? Uh, no, but I thought the committee got it conveniently. Okay. Um, and what I mean by that is when you have three teams that are competing for two spots, uh, I, I'm not sure that that there's a perfect answer. 
and I think that that uh, that clause about missing players and everything it, it was right there, and so they were able to to look at it and say, you know what would uh, would make the sense, make the most sense is just kind of pulling the the rug out to where there are only two teams for those two spots. I mean, if if you're looking at, at Florida State without Jordan Travis, right? Florida State didn't have him the last couple weeks. Florida State didn't move in the polls. They didn't drop or didn't move in the college football playoff rankings. They didn't drop them before that point. It was something that when they started to consider that, and I'll tell you what's what's kind of the interesting thing to me about it is Florida State played the ACC title game with their third string quarterback, and they still won by double digits. And when they beat Florida, they went down to Gainesville in a tough environment, and they won by nine. And so you win a road game, you win a conference title game by a combined 19 points. At what point do you look at it and say, hey, this team is still winning even without its starting quarterback? And for those who would say, man, they looked bad against Louisville, you know, so on and so forth, how bad did Alabama look against Auburn without having any injuries, you know, without having – a star quarterback missing or, or any of those things. And so to me, you have to look at the fact that Florida state was, was undefeated. They won every game that was set in front of them. That's all you can ask those players, those coaches, all of them to do is they won all of the games in front of them. They won a power five conference. And even after losing a Heisman trophy candidate at quarterback, they went on to win their next two games, one of which was on the road against a rival, the other of which was a conference title game against a team that was projected in a New Year's Bowl. And so when you when you look at all of that, I, I really think that Florida State should have should have gotten in. And I think that the committee looked at it, said there's there's gonna be a, a lot of trouble no matter which way we do it. There's three good candidates for this spot, and I think the the clause gave them the ability to say, well, Florida State's not the same without Jordan Travis. Let's go ahead and move forward that way. Well, I, I do think the positive of it is, I don't know, maybe we end up with, with a year where we don't have two bad uh, semifinal games. I, I guess that could be one positive. Although last year that was kind of the case. We got two good games there. Sure. So I guess moving forward with the field we do have, what do you feel most certain about? And what do you have maybe the biggest question about for how this playoff could go? I think it's really funny, the Washington-Texas rematch from last bowl season. You know, it's a little different meeting in the Alamo Bowl. and then Yeah, I would not want to be one of the security people having to deal with Steve Sarkeesian. Uh, Get out of the way. Yeah, yeah, that that seems like that would be, uh, that would not be the most fun deal there. But I I think the other thing is, is Michigan is is maybe a little bit more vulnerable number one that that a lot of people realize this is a different Michigan team. It's a little bit more versatile, which could help them out. But the other part of it is, is you think about where Michigan's been the last few years, you know, generally, especially up front, they're a lineup and just run right over the top of you. You know, they were so good up front and they probably were championship level on their offensive line. You look at that game against Iowa, they really struggled to run the ball. They couldn't protect J.J. McCarthy, who was sacked four times. And the offense only scored two touchdowns, one of which came after an 87-yard punt return, the other of which came after, you know, sort of a 
a fluky fumble play that either was or, or wasn't, those are the only two times they found the end zone uh, against Iowa. And so I do think that Michigan is a very vulnerable number one. That doesn't mean that, you know, with a month's prep time and everything else, they can't find some solutions. But it would not surprise me at all, Derek, to see the national title game this year be the number four team against the number three team with both of those teams pulling that out. And I guess it shouldn't be a surprise in the other one, given that the early uh, the early stuff actually has Texas as a slight favorite over Washington. Uh, meanwhile, KU in their bowl game uh, gets UNLV, nine-win team coming into town uh, for the guaranteed rate bowl in that one. Do you, do you have any early thoughts on, on that matchup between uh, the Jayhawks and the Rebels? You know, it, it's a it's a little bit unfortunate because uh, I think, you know, you had two really good offenses, but UNLV's quarterback just hit the transfer portal. And, and so when you, when you look at that, I, I think it's, it's kind of a, a no-win situation for Kansas, and you hate to say that going into a bowl game and everything else, but you know it's a game that I think a lot of people are going to say heading in, hey, Kansas should win this game. They should potentially win this game handily. And so if Kansas does win the game handily, it's, it's an as-expected, right? Whereas if you don't perform well, if it winds up being close, if you wind up losing the game, you know, then you fail to meet expectations. But I still think, you know, for for Kansas, it, it goes so much more beyond even this matchup or, or anything like that. Getting the nine wins for this team would be really big, especially with all the adversity they face, the injuries at the quarterback position, and all of those things. But you also get the pre you also get the pre bowl practices, which are going to be huge because I think they're going to be counting on some of these young players on the roster a little bit more next year than they are this year. But Kansas can also return a bunch of guys from this year's team. And so heading into the offseason with that kind of positive momentum that they can generate with a strong bowl performance, I, I think is maybe worth more than you would normally say for, for a bowl-type team. I, I really think that if Kansas comes out, gets the right amount of confidence, plays well in this game – the Jayhawks are going to head into the first year of the new look Big 12 as one of, say, the five favorite teams or so to to win the conference and potentially even higher than that. And so it, it is important for them to, to go out and play well in this game. We're talking with Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. Switching over to hoops, Kansas beats UConn last Friday. That gives them their third kind of top-tier win so far this season. As much as we have kind of talked about some of the, the possible weaknesses or potholes or hurdles that they're going to have to overcome with this team, I guess how much of that stuff like actually matters in terms of uh, when you talk about some of the weaknesses, like which of their weaknesses do matter for them possibly not winning a title and which of them do you think are ones that they can easily overcome? Well, you know, it's funny because I, I feel like we've we've talked about this about 35 times on the show. And one of the things that I feel like I've said pretty consistently is that if Kansas is going to be a national title winning team this year, it has to start for them on the defensive end. You know, they've got several plus, you know, individual defenders. When you talk about Dewan Harris, when you talk about Kevin McCuller, when you look at the fact El Marco Jackson has that potential, you know, KJ Adams is a guy that can switch and do a lot of things because of his athleticism. And I really felt like the UConn game was the first sort of flash we got of that, right? And that, 
in that first half in particular, Kansas is switching on all the action, especially away from the ball, where UConn usually you know kills people. And, and you look at it, really, you, you can't say a, a what if or whatever. But if Tristan Newton didn't throw in some some absolute amazing, well guarded shots, you know, at the end of the shot clock. I think Kansas heads into halftime in a much different position from a score standpoint. And so to me, even though Kansas has those other big wins you're talking about, you know, they show the mental toughness late against Kentucky, you know, the the way that they played against Tennessee in their third game in three days, all of that was impressive. But if you're asking me, hey, did they do anything in those games that you think is – you know, something important to carry over into March. I really thought it was the way they defended UConn in that first half in particular. From a from a weakness standpoint, you know, they're always going to be a little bit deficient in terms of having a number of outside shooters. Obviously, they hit some huge outside shots down the stretch. What they finish, I think, 9 for 14 yep. against UConn from, from 3. And so the shooting didn't hurt them there. But I, I think that you know, the depth is a little bit of a concern, especially if you get foul trouble or, or injuries. The shooting is going to continue to be something that we're going to watch and monitor. But really, the, the thing that hadn't quite been up to the level that I was thinking and or hoping that I thought they really showed up well in that area, I thought the defense against UConn, especially in the first half, was outstanding. Yeah, it, it uh, was a very impressive effort. And, and I guess when you look forward on this team, is that the calling card for how they end up being good? I mean, we know they're a good passing team. We know they have inside scoring with, with K.J. Adams guarded by wings and with Hunter Dickinson down low. But is the difference for whether, you know, they're a Final Four team, national title team versus one who's just really good but maybe, you know, loses before then, is it just about how elite the defense can be? Yeah, I think that's – I think you hit the nail right on the head. I, I think that's that's where the calling card needs to be. And I thought it was really interesting – you know, after the after the sort of too close for comfort uh, win that they had heading into the UConn game against Eastern Illinois, you know, Bill Self spent a significant portion of that press conference talking about rebounding, and I think one of the main reasons why is even when Kansas was defending well, they weren't always you know they weren't always getting the ball back, and so there's nothing more frustrating in in terms of playing defense and getting a stop, playing really well, and then not getting the ball off the glass and being able to go into your own offense. And so I think you look at the fact that Kansas is going to be able to score on the inside. You look at the fact that Kansas has the potential to be a really good transition team. The thing that they they really need to have on a night-to-night basis is they need to play defense, and that includes – all the way through getting the ball into one of the Jayhawks' hands as a as a rebound or whatever, and being able to to kind of start the break off of that. So I do think if you're asking me, hey, what's what's the one trait that needs to be there heading into March? I think it's defending at that kind of level. Meanwhile, around the Big Twelve, BYU has just absolutely skyrocketed. They're now in the top ten on Ken Palm. Are you buying the Cougars being that good, and and what has caused them? to, I, I guess, why are they surprising? Because, I mean, they were picked, what, 12th in the preseason Big 12 poll? They're already ahead of that in national rankings. Yeah, I, I think there are a couple things there. One thing that I, I'm not sure a lot of people realize is BYU is the most experienced Big 12 team, and I'm not sure it's 
it's all that close in terms of not necessarily age of players or things like that, but in terms of guys that they brought back from last year's team, guys who had already been in the program, who already know the system and, and all of those things. And when you look at which teams are going to start off well, it's usually those teams, right? The ones who know already who they are. They know what they're doing. But I think there there are a few keys here. I think, one, they moved the ball really, really well. You know, they're, they're a team that, you know, I think is top five in the country in assist rate last time I looked. Uh, Kansas being number one, and Kansas's assist rate is is absurd. It's at like seventy five percent or something like that. But uh, BYU moves the ball really well. Their assist rate's really high. They take a really high number of their shots from behind the arc, and they've they've been a pretty solid shooting team. They haven't been an elite shooting team, but when you're a good shooting team like they are and you take a, a lot of shots from out there, you're moving the ball, you're, you know, you're, you're putting a lot of pressure on people in terms of, hey, they have to defend all the way out here because if there's an open look, we're taking it. I, I think that's, that's a big part of it. And you look at you know, one of their biggest wins, probably their biggest win is the one over San Diego State, wouldn't you say? Yeah. And San Diego State's a little bit different this year. They aren't as elite defensively as maybe they have been in years past, but it was the sort of thing where where BYU, you know, they defended well enough and, and they they moved the ball and, and the outside shots and, and every all of that was there and they wound up with a really big win against a pretty good San Diego State team. Yeah, they they've just been so impressive to me. Now, outside of BYU, is there anybody that you would look at and, and maybe you've been pleasantly surprised with uh, in how they've done in the Big Twelve? Uh, you know, it, it's so funny because I wrote a big feature on Oklahoma and whether they'd be able to defend at, at Porter, Porter Mosier's level finally. Because I, I think that when you look at, at what they did defensively at Loyola Chicago and you look at what they did at Oklahoma over his first couple of years, it, it was different, right? Like Oklahoma, one, you could blame the talent level, probably. I think Oklahoma was probably the most outmanned team in the Big 12 a, a year ago. But, you know, just little things and fundamental things and with the transfer portal and everything, I, I asked, you know, Porter Mosier, can you even play the kind of defense that you did at Loyola Chicago? Because you're not getting somebody to come in and redshirt and learn learn your defensive system over multiple years before they really see the court as a starter. And he pointed to, if you remember, kind of their babyface center, Cameron Crutwig, you know, who who started as a true freshman on their team that went to the Final Four, and he said it is possible to learn what we do relatively quickly. And, and to be able to to do those different things. And they had some returnees who have gotten better. Otega Owe is one of the most improved players in the Big 12 this year. They're playing better offense. They're playing better defense. And I, I just think Oklahoma right now, as you look at them, they're ranked in the top 25 of of the polls. But I also think that when you watch them play, they aren't necessarily a, a Big 12 contender in that you sit here and say this is a team that's that's going to be in the top three and have a chance to win the Big 12 title, they are potentially a team that is going to go to the NCAA tournament and be a royal pain in the neck for somebody that isn't prepared for them. All right, I have a uh, Big 12 trade proposal here. Do either All of these right. schools say no? I am not going with a player. We're going coaches. 
Houston trades Kelvin Sampson. It's an older coach, so maybe they're like, okay, you know, we can maybe get more years out of this other guy. Uh, to Oklahoma State for Mike Gundy. Ooh. Houston I don't think football. Houston does it. I don't think Houston does it because Houston just got Willie Fritz. Yeah, I was worried that that was going to be the block of this one. It, and the and I think that you know the other the other part of it is is you just mentioned Samson being a little bit of an older guy. How much longer do you think Mike Gundy has? I mean, I I, I know he's not you know older per se, but you know you maybe it's just me, but I feel like over the last couple of years Gundy has seemed it, and I don't know if it's the the OAN stuff that he got in trouble with. I don't know if it's, you know, all the transfer portal issues and everything that they had. I, I get the feeling he's got a lot shorter fuse maybe than he had a, a few years ago in terms of how long he's going to continue doing this. And so, you know, I, I don't think that, I don't think that I would make that trade necessarily from a, from a Houston standpoint, from Oklahoma state standpoint. I mean, you probably go ahead and, and continue to, you you probably go ahead and continue to ride it out with uh, with Boynton and see what you can get. Although having Kelvin Sampson, the interesting thing to me though is going to be, and I know you didn't ask this, but does is this a situation? You know, Houston's been kind of talking about Kellen Sampson as a legitimate head coaching candidate. If you're Oklahoma State and Mike Boynton doesn't work out, you know, this year and you wind up moving on from that. Is it a situation where you wind up going with Kellen Sampson as your potential high? I think that's an interesting theoretical, too. Mm, I like that. I like that theoretical. Possibly something to watch. Okay, uh, before we let you go, do you have a local prospect of the week? Yeah, I'm I'm going to talk about uh, Jack Voth of, uh, of Cheney because I think he's one of the best uh, one of the best football players in the entire state. He's going to New Mexico State. Uh, but he, he's a guy that I, I feel like could play – at the Big 12 level, depending on you know how he's utilized, the interesting thing about him, I don't know how much of Cheney's system you guys followed. Mm-mm. Andale had this winning streak that pretty much went back to the Romans, and you know it, it was the sort of thing where not only was this a really long winning streak, I think people were legitimately asking, like, is this thing going to go on forever? <laughs> you know, Voss plays plays a huge role in upsetting Andale and the regular season ending the winning streak in a game that was maybe the best of the entire season. Then you, you go into, uh, go into the state playoffs. They wind up playing Andale again. They wind up being down again, come back. I think from 24 down is what it was to, to knock off Andale and Jack both was, he's just a, a tremendous player. And I think, somebody that's probably going to be a wide receiver at the next level. He's kind of a do-it-all athlete for Cheney, but somebody that uh, it would not surprise me at all if if we're watching an eight-win New Mexico State team a couple years from now and the announcers are talking about this guy being an all-conference guy that uh, that really you know kind of helps make New Mexico State run. He's Kevin Flaherty. You can check out all his work and insights with 24-7 Sports at KFlaherty247 on Twitter. Kevin, appreciate the time as always, man. Have a great rest of your week. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. All right. Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 Sports with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. One hour down or two hours down, half an hour to go. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. 
Five o'clock hour, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is KLWN, and uh, we're going to get some Johnny Furphy audio coming up, and then we'll get out of the way for pregame coverage of the Crimson and Blue Show, Kansas and Kansas City, UMKC, whatever you want to call them, at uh, 5.30, pregame starts, tip-off at 7 o'clock. So uh, we still have to get to our Rock Chalk Pickahawk and KU Basketball game picks. We're going to do that right now. Uh, reminder on Rock Chalk Pickahawk rules, one point for every point, two points for every rebound and assist, three points for blocks and steals. You lose one for every minute played. I am 6-4. and four. Nick is 4-6. and six. Therefore, nope. 4-4. Four four. Well, you do have the first pick. Uh, last time okay. in a negative matchup. Yeah, I was about to say, so we didn't even really get a good chance to talk about the yeah. UConn matchup. Uh, we both went negative. Yes, we did. You <laughs> were negative five. I was negative 15. So going forward, if we both get negative, is it just a draw? I'm fine with that. Just a tie? Just, uh, just incompetence all around? <laughs> I am cool agreeing to that rule. So it would be like, you know, at the end of the year, we one of us would be like, you know, 12 and 13 and 5 or whatever. Yeah. And that would be 13 and 12 and 5. Or you, could do like, you could do like hockey. In hockey, if you tie, if if you're tied at the end of regulation, yeah, you, get a, you get a point. You get a point, but then if you lose in overtime, the but other see, team still gets the win. That's that's too complicated. For okay, me. that's too complicated. So just a tie if we're both negative. It needs to be soccer right. style. That's fine. Draw. No, that's fine it's, because then it's like you're actually winning the game. What if one scores zero and the other has negative? If you score zero, it's a W. Okay. So as long that as you're has not to be both negative. negative. Okay, it has that's to be fine. negative. Yeah. You have the first pick. Hmm. Who will I pick? Hmm. Whole world knows. Hunter Dickinson, baby. What? I'm shocked because he's going to play less minutes, and he's going to. It's a guaranteed positive. Yeah, they're they're not really big at the center position. Six seven, six eight are the two main centers. Again, the six seven guy, top twenty five in the country in block rate. So maybe there's something there, but still, I would think he should be able to bury him down low. Uh, they also do not have a good two point defense. Kevin McCuller is going to be my first pick. Okay. So I talked about this earlier. The guy they mostly play the minutes at the three is not a very good defender. Now, maybe he ends up guarding on Marco Jackson and, and they put somebody else on Kevin McCuller and, and things change up a little bit there. But that does leave an opening for Kevin McCuller. He's coming off a big game, 21 points, averaging 18 a game. Um, he's a good rebounder. He'll get assists. He'll get steals. He'll get blocks. does a little bit of everything. So Kevin McCuller will be my first pick. How many picks do you want to have here, by the way? Oh, um, five? Okay. I, we can't really go six, can we? I don't no, think that's we fine. can. I think no. five. All right, my second pick. So I have Hunter Dickinson, you have Kevin McCuller. Yeah. Okay. See, here's where I run into the issue. DeWan's been negative for like three or four straight games. It's because he plays a lot of minutes and he I doesn't know. score. If he gets three points with eight assists and two rebounds, you're going to end up with negative if he's yes. playing 35 minutes. So yes. I don't want to go down that road. Wow. Okay. I with I, I think KJ Adams is going to have a nice advantage in this one. Yeah. Because uh, the fact that, I mean, it, it's going to be tough for him. He's going to have to chase around probably a three-point shooter and Cameron Foss all over. That could be tough defensively. But on the offensive end, he's going to have a big opportunity to bully him inside. UMKC also a really good rebounding team. That means that Bill Self, I'm sure, is emphasizing to KJ, need you on the boards tonight. Maybe get some extra rebounds. Maybe that helps with pick-a-hawk points. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good pick. Good pick. And, and, KJ Adams has obviously been been playing inspired recently as well, with uh, what's been happening with with him off the court, you know, and uh, being in everyone's thoughts and prayers. So, yeah, could could lead to him having another another great game. I thought that the video they put out after the UConn game was really cool that the KU put out. So, uh, yeah, that's a pretty good pick. And to your point, I mean, listen, Dewan Harris again, he's 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 a liability. He's a risk in in pick a hawk. Uh, it's it's tough. So if I'm if I'm not gonna go with Dewan Harris though, well, I think I have to. 
Give me Dewan Harris. Why not? Because mm. what if he hits five threes? Then I'm golden. Yeah, I mean, you could say that about anybody. Well, yeah, but <laughs> Dewan might has, can actually do it. Okay. He's shown he can do it. Okay. So Dewan Harris. And then I think here, between Omarco and Johnny Furphy, I'm going to go, in this game, I'm going to go with Furphy because I think Omarco is going to play more minutes, which just subjects him to more of a possibility of being negative in Pickahawk. Whereas I think Furphy has a pretty high ceiling of what he could be in terms of ma- maximizing pickhawk points without necessarily playing a lot of minutes. So I'll give me Johnny Furphy. Yeah, so for that reason. Furf and Turf, Furf Dog, Furphy's Law. Uh, I can't remember the other ones. Vegemite Dynamite. Vegemite Dynamite. There's a good one. So I'm going to go Parker Brown. Um, I love the fact that he's limited on minutes and typically against some of these smaller teams too. He's going to end up with maybe a block, maybe a couple of rebounds, maybe Bill, four hey, points on Bill a couple of Bill said that five through nine, he's been he's the best he's option. Been the most consistent, yeah. yeah. It's just tougher. It limits his minutes because unfortunately for him, he plays behind yeah. Hunter Dickinson. And Which, not, you know, we had this conversation in the summer about it's going to be hard to find somebody in the portal who's willing to sit behind, play behind he Hunter Dickinson five minutes He's done a game, good job in that role. Parker yeah. Brown's done that, yeah. Um, my other pick, I also am not going to go on Marco Jackson. I was pleased with how Marco played against UConn. I know the stats don't jump off the page, but I thought he yeah. just was. I mean, he wasn't messing anything up out yeah. there. I guess in which, the spotlight, which is part of the deal. Yeah, yeah. But the problem is when you're the fifth option on the floor, it's just hard for you to put up stats. It really is. But and if you're playing 28 minutes and not putting up stats, will he be the fifth option that much tonight? Because he might be the second or third option be. if they get to the bench. Could be. I'm going Jamari McDowell. I think it's going to be lower minutes. We didn't see Jamari last game. We, we barely saw him the game before after he played really well against Tennessee. And it was like, okay, what's going on? I think tonight he has a longer leash. I think he's actually been a pretty good rebounder from the guard position, which could help in this matchup. Yeah. And uh, I'll go back to Jamari McDowell. Mm. I'll happily take a Marco Jackson here. Okay. I think that's pretty good value for me. Uh, with my So this is my fourth pick. Yep. So I have one more. Mm. Now we're back to the age-old question. Timberlake. Or Jankovic. <laughs> Give me Jank. Wow. I'm sorry, man. I just got to I gotta see it. I got to see it before I believe it. Yeah. You know? I'm kind of the same space as you. No, you should take him. Come on. You should take him. Because you're going to take, like, Dylan Wilhite or somebody who's not even I am going to take Dylan Wilhite. No way, yep. dude. Dylan Wilhite. That's so disrespectful. Mine. It's not that I actually think Dylan Wilhite's a better basketball player than Nick Timberlake. It's the game. It's it's how the game goes. Because we've talked about this before. Timberlake's got a high ceiling. Even if Nick Timberlake has a good game for what would objectively be a great game for him, for the team, he could have he could have four threes. He could have 12 points with two rebounds and one assist. That would only be 18 pickhawk points. And if he does that much, he could do it in 20 minutes and still end up negative. And that's a good game for what Maybe. you would consider for him impacting the, the game in a positive way. There's the other scenario where he plays 15 minutes, scores five points, one rebound, one assist, and you end up big negative. I'm going Dylan Wilhite. Wow. Wow. Sorry. I can't believe what, that. I can't believe you. That's, that, I'm you, sick. No, I'm see, sick. See, here's what you've done. You had the <laughs> opportunity to what? take Nick Timberlake over Michael Jankovic, and you wanted to leave me with Nick Timberlake, and you no. were sure I was no. going to take him, no. and that's not going to happen. No. Because you know he's going to be a negative. No, team. that's not. No, no that's yeah. totally wrong. No, that I have a lot of faith in Nick Timberlake. No. I believe. Okay, then, 100% then, then I'll Nick give Timberlake. you the chance right now. You can add him to your roster. I won't even make you delete anybody else on your roster. That's not fair. I'll give you a sixth person. No, that doesn't seem... No, because then if I win, you'll just be like, oh, you got six players. No. All right, fine. I'll take a sixth. I'll no. take Wilder no, 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 Evers, no, 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 and you no, get Nick Timberlake. Those guys aren't even going to play, so it doesn't matter. No. 
No. See, no. you're not you're not backing up your with your. No, I 100 percent believe your in Nick actions Timberlake. are not no, backing nobody, up what you're saying. Nobody believes then Nick let Timberlake me give more you Nick me. Timberlake. No, as because a free. it's not fair. Because then you would just complain about how it's not no, fair I that I won. I promise I won't. No, no, no. I, I have to win I fair and square. No, 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 no. Yeah, I have to I win fair and square. Because otherwise you'll complain and say that it's fake. You're just a liar. Okay, KU basketball game picks. You are 15 and five. I'm 13 and seven. Kansas is minus 26 against UMKC. Yeah, this is a tough one. Uh, I'm gonna go Kansas. Okay, the I I am gonna go Kansas as well. The reason I why I mean I, I I don't feel great about it, but we'll see. I mean it's a lot of points, but I feel so much better than like the Eastern Illinois game was like what 38 something like that 38 and a half. The Shawnee yeah. game was like 40 it just something. Seems unlikely that KU is gonna come out and like do what they did against. Maybe not. I think it helps that the Eastern Illinois game was last week. Maybe you have more focus in this game. Yeah, this line is more representative of, I think, yeah, more reasonable than those other two were. Uh, So I'm going to take KU minus 26. The over-under is 139.5. Yeah, the the line, this is interesting because you mentioned it at the top of the show. UMKC plays a very, very, very slow pace, right? Does Kansas lean into that and and kind of match that pace? And is it just kind of a grinder of a game? Or is Kansas able to speed them up and they get a big and force UMKC out of that? Life's too short to bet the under. Give me the over. <laughs> I love that you, you got all this explanation. There's, but life's too short. Just a, a simple motto, a simple saying, yes, can get you to avoid anything. No, I, I am going to go with the over here too. I don't feel great about it, but I if really I think either. Kansas is going to cover twenty six, that probably means they got to score 85, 90 points. And uh, that's really I, I mean, I, I think this game could easily be like eighty to fifty six or eighty to fifty yeah. or something like that. But then they wouldn't be covering. I know, and it wouldn't be the over either. That's what I'm saying. If I'm taking Kansas to cover, I should take the over. Okay, that's yeah, that's fine. Yeah, no, I yeah, I I follow your logic. I'm just saying I I, I could see the other side of it easily. All right, the, uh, the prop bet, favorite prop bet from the game. Hmm. Yeah, you kind of touched on it. I really like KJ Adams' rebounds. Actually, okay. I like his rebounds. Uh, his I, rebounds I are four good. and a half. Yeah, I feel pretty good about that one. Okay. Uh, I think kind of what you talked about with the emphasis on rebounding from Bill Self. The lack of size, maybe that KJ is going to be facing specifically, maybe some KJ Adam rebound action. Uh, Dwan Harris has had seven or more assists six times this season among their eight games. His over under six and a half. So give me that. Mm. All right, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. That's our KU basketball game picks and Rock Chalk Pickahawk. More RCST Johnny Furphy audio next. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that'd be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter. RCST1320AM at gmail.com. That's RCST1320AM at gmail.com. And if you want to listen live, 3 to 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday on KLWN, KLWN KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Have a good rest of your day and see you next podcast.